The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So depending on how old you are and how many years of your life you attended church, you may have heard this story dozens of times. I was thinking about it not long ago, and I thought to myself, hmm, 53, that's me. How many times have I heard this story? I grew up in the church. 53 times. I'm pretty sure we never missed Palm Sunday. Almost 20 of those 53 I've preached about Palm Sunday. And here we are again. You know what happens when you celebrate a tradition, right? Certain other traditions crop up around it. Oral tradition that sometimes are probably true, but we're not sure exactly how much. And on other occasions, we we may just kind of miss the mark on them. I want to suggest that probably most of you somewhere along the way have heard the rather rich tradition that the people who entered Jerusalem on this day and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna on the highest were the same people who a few days later shouted, crucify him, crucify him, right? Maybe. We don't really know for sure. Because we don't know all the names in the crowd. We don't know how many of those people in that crowd were also at the cross. We don't know how many of those people in that crowd were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, and were not at the cross, or perhaps were at the cross, and did not shout, crucify him, crucify him. I think it's likely that there were a group of people who did both. But for that reason, you see, sometimes I think we pass a false indictment on these people. The pilgrims, in other words, on this day, often get a bad rap. And part of the reason we say that is because we realize, and this is true, that they didn't understand what Jesus was really doing or really talking about. We get that from the narrative because we realize Jesus so deeply understood this that he wept. He basically could see right through it and he said, they don't understand it, they don't get it. And he was overwhelmed by sadness that Jerusalem, the one he wept over, was not the Jerusalem that would follow him. 
He wept over the fact that they didn't understand his message because routinely people thought this Messiah, who they claimed he was, this Messiah would bring in a wrathful, vengeful approach to Rome and establish the nation of Israel in a new and a dominant way. They didn't realize that Jesus' kingdom was a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of righteousness, not a kingdom of the sword. And they also didn't realize, and this is still true, isn't it? They didn't realize that at the heart of Jesus' message was that he was dealing with real issues and not symptoms. And the real issues he dealt with, not the symptoms, were universal in scope, transnational for all people, no matter where you are or in what generation. His kingdom was that kind of kingdom. And it's clear they didn't understand. But you know what? They did follow. Maybe they didn't understand. But they followed. They were pilgrims. My question out of the story is basically this. What's it mean to be a pilgrim? They were. The first thing I want to mention concerning a pilgrim uh, is this. A characteristic of a pilgrim is a person who travels somewhere to remember. And that's part of the tradition. As a matter of fact, if you were a faithful follower of Yahweh in the Jewish tradition, you would have at least tried to attend three feasts Especially, it would be hardship for you, but especially if you were away from Jerusalem, you would try to attend these feasts at least once in your lifetime. You would attend the Feast of Passover, which is what they were coming in for. You would attend the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacle, the three high feasts in the Jewish tradition. So on this day, they were walking in for the Feast of Passover to celebrate the grand deliverance of God in the history of his people. Pilgrims are persons who travel somewhere to remember. You know what that's different than? It's different than a tourist. Okay? A tourist doesn't really travel somewhere to remember. You travel somewhere to see. You might stop and you might remember something along the way, but that's not the purpose of the trip. Um, this summer, uh, my wife and I have the delightful opportunity to, to go to Europe. We, you know, we want to do some of these things before we get too old. We can't walk around. And so we decided we are going to go to Europe with two friends, and, and this trip is going to be on a Viking cruise. You heard of these things, right? You get on a river in Europe, and you just sort of meander down a river, and you get to look at different cities, and you get to get off and talk about the sites, and there's going to be monuments, and there's going to be things that we'll remember, and all of that's going to be great fun, and I can't wait to do it in July but it won't be a pilgrimage. I'm not a pilgrim and neither is my wife. Even when we go to Normandy, it's not a pilgrimage. We remember things, but it's not the way pilgrims remember them. Pilgrims go not to sightsee, but to remember deeply who they are in the tradition that they follow. So the second thing that's characteristic of pilgrims, not only do they travel somewhere to remember, pilgrims... Follow a person. They are people who follow someone for a reason. And on this occasion, the pilgrims were following, or at least with Jesus, going into the city of Jerusalem. 
And they were so together, they did everything together. They did everything together, including sing together. Part of the tradition here that we know is, is rather accurate is that these pilgrims were singing a group of songs out of the Psalter that we call today the Psalms. A group of Psalms from Psalm 120 to 134. If you open your Bible at any time, any Bible, you will notice that Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 always has a heading at the top of it and it says something like songs of ascents. That is songs leading upward. So the pilgrims were going up to Jerusalem and together they were singing the Psalms 120 through 134 as they traveled. Wouldn't you love to have heard that? All these pilgrims, perhaps hundreds of them, singing those same songs. It's kind of like when we get together here on Sunday morning, we sing these songs of praise. They sang them as they traveled, reminding themselves that they were going somewhere together for a special reason to follow Yahweh. What's interesting about this record, according to the Gospels, is as they approached Jerusalem and got to a critical turn in the road at the Mount of Olives where Zechariah said the Lord was going to come and rescue his people and make all things right. We now look at that as the potential site for a second coming sometimes in certain people's eschatology. But the point was they knew this critical turn in the road and it seems like perhaps at that critical turn in the road they began to sing an important song Psalm 118. I would love to have heard the music, but the music's lost. But here's what we know they were probably singing. Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for you. Answered me, and you've become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus used these words concerning himself. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Bless us who come in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made His light shine upon us. And with bows in hand, we join in the festival of procession. Up to the horns of the altar, you are my God. I will give you thanks. You are my God. I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. It was a song. They sang it for a purpose because they were following God. Pilgrims, uh, not only are those who travel somewhere to remember and they are people who follow a person for a reason. Pilgrims are, well, they're people who hope. They have a deep, steadfast hope because they believe. Their hope is not just a wish fulfillment. They don't just say, I hope the day will be better. I hope God will bless. I hope God is in control. They have a deep-seated confidence, a deep belief. And out of that belief, which is deep, grows this enormous hope. And you know what they believe, pilgrims? Then and now? They believe an odd faith-filled story about their current reality. 
They look at the circumstances of life. They look at the developments, whether in history or science or medicine or psychology or any other thing. They look at all the same facts and they see something else. You know, the reality around us, which is not the faith-filled reality, what I'll call the secular story of life, it's incredibly accurate. And sometimes it's almost infallible. Except for one thing, it's only part of the truth. There's another part to all that story and all those wonderful facts about reality. It's the story of faith. It's the story of what God is doing. It's the story of what's happening behind the real-time historical facts. And what does it look like? I love the way Eugene Peterson put it one time. He said, the secular story, it tells us who we are, but it omits everything about our origin and our destiny in God. It tells us about the world without telling us about the God who made it. It tells us about our bodies without telling us that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. It instructs us in love without telling us about the God who is love and gave Himself for us. It tells us impeccably accurate storyline of history, but it leaves out the critical element that gives meaning behind the facts. It's the faith-filled story that a pilgrim embraces. The pilgrim also not only embraces an odd faith-filled story about the world, the pilgrim embraces this. He or she believes that repentance, we just joined in that a few minutes ago. He believes that repentance It's the beginning of life. That's odd. At least in our culture. What the pilgrim does not believe is that we're essentially good and we just need a little bit of help. The Christian pilgrim believes or ought to believe that we're fatally flawed and we need redemption. We need transformation from the inside out. And that's why we engage in the activity of confessing our sins and repenting before the grace-filled God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. It's the glory of the Gospel. It's the beginning of life. And it's the enrichment that gives life. Not just once, but a way of life. I may have mentioned before that there are some wonderful, rich, histories in the church that include prayers of confession. And sometimes, like this morning, we read one together. A number of years ago, for my personal devotional life, I decided to reconstruct them all uh, in a personal way. So I took six very traditional, rich words of confession and made them personal pronouns. And I begin my day, every day that I'm on target, by reading these prayers out loud, where no one else can hear. Let me just read one of them to you. 
Holy and merciful God, in Your presence, I confess my sinfulness, my shortcomings, and my offenses against You. You alone know how often I have sinned in wandering from Your ways, in wasting Your gifts, and in forgetting Your love. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am ashamed and sorry for all that I have done to displease You. Forgive my sins and help me to live in the light of Your grace and walk in Your holy way for the sake of Jesus Christ, my Savior. Amen. Do you know that's the heart of the Gospel? It's reality that we can be honest with a God who sees right through us. Admit who we are and ask for forgiveness daily and restoration daily and He will do it. It's life, my friends. It's life. It's not morbid. It's life. A pilgrim is one who understands that repentance is the beginning of life. A pilgrim is also one who believes that this world and all its power and all its beauty and all its relics and all its history and all its importance, this world is going to pass away. But the Word of God is going to stand forever. Because the Word of God is eternal. It's the voice of God into the human condition, into the created order that He blessed and called good. And that Word of God is the eternal reality. Kingdoms come and go. People come and go. Ideas come and go. Trends come and go. But the Word of God stands forever. And pilgrims believe that. And they circle around it like an anchor. Pilgrims believe that in spite of the chaos of this present world, God is in control. They don't understand how God is in control. They're fully aware of the fact that the daily details of life do not seem to add up to a loving, sovereign God. But they believe deep within their being because of all these stories that in the midst of the chaos, God is still in control. And those pilgrims believe something else. They believe that history is not cyclical and without meaning. They believe that history has an end and we're moving towards that end. And in the midst of chaos, God is orchestrating God's plan to restore all things to the beautiful creation that He once delivered to us as His gift. Pilgrims believe those things. So pilgrims are people who hope because they believe. Pilgrims are also those who are on a journey. Now you might say to yourself, now wait, Bob, you've been saying that all along. We get it. Pilgrims are on a journey. I wanted to say it again. Is that okay? And I wanted to say it for a reason. (laughs) Because we need to remember it. We're on a journey There's no time to stop. There's no time to really sort of give up on it. There's no time, my friends, to ever say we've arrived. We're on a journey. We're always moving ahead. 
I love what William Faulkner said about these ideas, especially around the Songs of Ascents. He said basically this, that pilgrims are not the same as tourists, as I mentioned earlier. And he said also, and this is the most telling, a pilgrim and a tourist are different because a tourist might look at monuments, and that's okay. But a pilgrim, he focuses on footprints. Footprints? Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? But listen to his words. A monument only says, at least we got this far. While a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. That's the journey of a pilgrim. This is where I was when I moved again. That's what you see at the heart of the book that we call Hebrews, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, where the faithful are always moving. What are they moving towards? They're journeying as pilgrims and strangers in a place that's familiar but unfamiliar at the same time. And they're looking for a celestial home. They're looking for a heavenly city. They don't have their eyes fixed on the scene. They have it fixed on the unseen. The city that God is preparing for them. So here's the question. Are you a pilgrim? Are you a pilgrim who believes these things? If you're not, and you embrace the story, you'll become a pilgrim. And if you embrace the story, and you turn to God in true repentance, you'll get life. Life that will redefine all your reality. And it'll be the richest thing you ever took on. If you're not one of those pilgrims and you want to be, today's a good day. Today's always the day. And if you're ready to be led on the first step of the pilgrimage called receiving Christ, I'd love to talk to you about it. I know a lot of people would. It's important to be a pilgrim. I hope you are. But I have another question. And that's for the rest of you. You say, yes, I'm a pilgrim. But my question is, do you need to renew your faith in the story? It's easy to let the story slip away. It's easy in the toughness of life to feel like you're on the outside looking in and you're not on the journey. It's easy, well, just to stop believing it. I want to encourage you to believe it again. I mean, even if you believe it now, I mean the kind of belief that says, I'm going to embrace it again. I'm going to wrap my arms around the reality of what it means to be a pilgrim, to follow Jesus Christ with my whole life. I want you to embrace that. And the way I want you to embrace it, among other things is to embrace it in community. You know why? Because you can't really be a pilgrim on your own. You need the help of others. You need the memory of community. You need the reminders constantly that we're walking together. 
in this pilgrimage. Don't desert the community. It's there that the story is renewed over and over again. Yeah, it's probably about the 20th time that I've approached this text for Sunday morning. And I'm doing the same thing I did 19 times before. Here's what I'm doing. I'm coming here to tell you the story because I need to hear it again. And I need to see on your faces and in your words and in your life and in your voices of praise that you believe it too. I need you. Oh, how I need you as a pilgrim and you need me. So, pilgrims, all of us, it's time to lift our eyes off the circumstances. Like these early pilgrims lifted their eyes off the road and looked to Jerusalem. Lift your eyes up. Get a heavenly view. Renew your faith that these things are true. And allow your life to reorient again around the truth of this living gospel. And walk together. Let's pray. Lord, we admit that um, we have longings deep within our hearts that appear to be unsatisfied. We often run after the wrong things thinking they will satisfy us and we come up empty. We realize the stories, Lord, because we've heard them over and over again and And honestly, Lord, we believe them, but sometimes the stories almost vanish with our circumstances. And the circumstances become our story, and we know that's not true. We know our story is bigger than those circumstances. And we know that our reality, which is our circumstances and our history, ought to be defined by the story. And we need you, Lord, to renew our faith. We need our brothers and sisters in the faith to remind us of what is true and to remind us that uh, we're not tourists, but we're pilgrims, and to remind us that we're not just setting up monuments, we're, we're making footprints. So, Lord, give us the faith to walk. Give us the faith also, Lord, to lean on that other one who sees more clearly than we do on any given day. And give that person the faith to lift us up when we fall and to help us to walk with you. You're a good God. You never give up on us. And we don't want to give up on the story. We thank you for it. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.